My name is Tom, and I'm one of the leaders here, and we are in the middle of a Christmas series we're calling Unexpected Christmas. So I want you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to start. Not to, I'm not going to scare you. I'm not going to jump out and scare you. I'm not going to surprise you. Nothing icky is going to happen, but I want you to close your eyes, okay? And I'm, once you close your eyes, I'm going to give you some direction. Everybody got their eyes closed? I can see you, just, just so I can... <coughs> All right, so go ahead and close your eyes, and I want you to try as best you can to picture Jesus. Whether you have a church background or not, you probably have some idea of what you think Jesus looks like. What's he doing? What do you see? Is it kind of coming into focus? Okay, so keep your eyes closed. Got that picture locked in? Okay, go ahead and open your eyes. Did Jesus look like that? Now, that's not an actual picture of Jesus. They didn't have cameras back then, right? But what that is, is some forensic scientists took some remains of some male around Jesus's, what they thought Jesus' age, around 30, from first century Palestine, and they did a reconstruction of what a man of Jesus' age from that area might have looked like at that point in time. So if he didn't look like that, did he look more like the face that you see in the mirror every day? That's what people have tended to do over the course of history, is that we have tried to shape Jesus, to make Jesus look like us, to make Jesus think like us and feel like us and act like us. And I don't know about you guys, but we are very, very fortunate that Jesus does not think and feel and act like me because I would be a horrible Lord God and King of the universe. Done. Many, if not all, of our problems with God, our, our questions, our struggles, um, our fears, come from this face-in-the-mirror Savior that we create. Because Jesus is not what we expect him to be. He's not what we want him to be. But here's the good news, folks. Jesus will not always be the God you want or expect him to be. But he will always be the God that you need him to be. When Jesus walked this earth, he did not come from the family that people expected him to come from. He did not hang out with the people that he was expected to hang out with. He did not do the things that he was expected to do. He showed up and he fulfilled every single one of the, the predictions and promises about him, what his life on earth would look like, that the messengers from the Old Testament came and brought to God's people, every one of them. And yet, he still disappointed so many people. And he's accused of the same thing today. How, how does that happen? So God's plan to restore relationship with humanity started with one nation, started with the people of Israel. And from that nation, blessings and salvation were to come. But that people, those people, the Israelites, Jews, um, the people of Judaism, life happened. Right? We can look back on it now and we know it as history. 
but they were going along and life happened to them. They, they suffered and they waited um, through things like the conquest of Alexander the Great. Right? He came through first and he took over the whole, the whole area. Then there were hundreds of years of, of violence and oppression. And then the Roman Empire came in. Every, every like, so often, the Jews would be able to sort of, kind of be in charge of themselves. But that never lasted very long. Somebody else came in and, and took them over as a result of their unwillingness to, to follow after God. And then finally, the, the, just the harsh and the brutal and the occupying Roman Empire comes in. And, and that's, the, that's the historical context that Jesus walks into. So they have all these prophecies, right? Nate, go ahead and put, put that, that slide up with all the prophecies. That's not all of them. Um, there's somewhere between 300 and 400 predictions about who Jesus is and, and what he would do. Everything, when, where, how, like he would destroy evil, he would reign in, in David's throne. Um, even like things like riding on a donkey when he came to his final days. Really specific, some general, but all of them were fulfilled. The Jewish people have these in mind, but then life happens to them, right? And they get, they get confused and their thinking, their thinking gets altered. And the people of Israel, they like, they splinter. All these different groups and sects and brotherhoods and little quasi groups of people formed, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go through them really quickly, but I want, I want you to see the, the kind of the face in the mirror mentality that happened to the people of Jesus' day. Remember, we're, we constantly talk about how did the original audience receive the scripture. There's going to be a ton of scripture that goes up here. I'm not necessarily going to read all of it, but some of it is just going to be up behind me um, as, as we're talking. So the, um, the first group, they get talked about a lot. Jesus has lots of kind of run-ins with them are the Pharisees. These guys were the religious leaders of the day. They took the Old Testament and they tried to, what started out I think as a good thing, they tried to clarify it and explain it a little bit further. And what ended up happening is they layered all these other rules and laws and stuff on top of what God had given Moses in the, um, at, at Mount Sinai. And they started to think, well, those are more important than the, the laws that God gave us. And that's how they acted. Those are the things that they taught, but they didn't do what they said. They held the people to a higher standard than they held themselves. And it's really kind of amazing because they, the people loved the Pharisees. They like had the masses kind of like in the, in the palm of their, of their hand. So they were good teachers. They were bad examples. Jesus came on the scene and he called them hypocrites. He challenged, he challenged their thinking. And the masses started to sway away from them over to Jesus. So he was, Jesus came and he stole their power. Jesus spent a lot of time with the Pharisees. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, we read about Jesus in the company of Pharisees, having dinner at a Pharisee's house, talking with the Pharisees, debating with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were willing to interact with Jesus. He even commended them for their zeal, right? Their, their just love of God's word. And, um, but what happens sometimes with that much zeal comes pride and hypocrisy. And Jesus wasn't afraid to call them on that. And Paul, the guy who wrote 
most of the New Testament, was a Pharisee. Okay, I told you I'm going to go fast. Sadducees are next. This is another group of religious leaders. These guys were just bad through and through, right? Where Jesus commended the Pharisees for their zeal and their love of the word. Um, there's, the Sadducees were just in it for themselves. They took religion and they used it for their personal gain. They only read the first five books of the Bible. And the reason they did that was because they wanted to be able to interpret them for, the, for themselves. They didn't like the oral tradition because it held them to this higher standard. Um, they were accused of having like... Uh, they were lax on, on lots of the laws, the purity laws and the morality laws. So they were only, the only followers they had were other rich people. These guys were rich, landholding, kind of the aristocracy of the day. No, there was not a Pharisee that ended up coming to follow Jesus. There were Pharisees like Paul who did end up following Jesus. And it says high priest Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the guy who Jesus is coming to the end of his life and he said, He's talking to his other religious leaders. He's like, listen, you guys are nuts. We get this one guy killed, and everybody else is, is safe. If we don't kill him, if we don't take care of him, get him out of our hair, we're all going to end up dead at the hands of the Romans. Political expediency, money. Um, they didn't believe in resurrection. So the teachings of Jesus, give to the poor. The poor are important. Look out for the poor. Jesus' background, he came from a humble background, like a backwater town he shouldn't have come from. That would have rubbed them the wrong way. And ultimately, Jesus comes out and says, I am the resurrection. They don't think resurrection is real. So he's completely throwing all of this stuff in his face. He's not at all what the Sadducees wanted or expected. The Essenes. Um, the easiest way to describe the Essenes is that they were monks. They spent a lot of time studying scripture. They spent a lot of time praying. But they pulled themselves out of the world and they went off into the wilderness and they just kept to themselves and and again jesus had lots to commend them for um, their love of the word their love of prayer they shared like none of them had any need because they shared all their belongings they took care of each other but they didn't take care of anybody else they didn't have that love for people who were far away from god for people who were hurting for people who were broken so when jesus would withdraw he would go to lonely places to pray and be with his father but then what would he do? He would go back out into the world and he would connect with the people who were far from him and who didn't know him. The Essenes thought that they were the true Israel. They thought that they were the ones who Jesus was supposed to come to and say, you guys got it right. I'm with you guys. Let's go. And that's not, that's not at all what Jesus said. Um, they're famous. The Dead Sea Scrolls, are, were, we have them because of the Essenes. They, they wrote that stuff down. And it's, it was in their kind of village, monastery, whatever you want to call it, where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, those documents that help support lots of things that we have about the Bible. Last one. Group of guys called the Zealots. Easiest way to think about them is they were terrorists. Um, they, again, Jesus found things to commend in them, right? They loved God's people and they loved God's word and they wanted to protect it. And it was okay to use violence to do that. They would take pretty much any chance that they got to do harm, to do violence to the Romans and the Greeks that were kind of in, in their area. Leanne read the angelic announcement that, um, that God gave to the shepherds we talked about a couple weeks ago. And what's really interesting about that announcement, if you go back and you look at the scripture that's in there, 
the angels stole the introduction of the emperor of Rome. That the, the phraseology, the words that are in there, are the same words that would be used when the emperor would be brought out. The people, the original audience would have heard that and it would have been blown away because you weren't supposed to say stuff like that about the emperor. It would have been, they would have heard it with really, really political ears. It would have been like saying to a bunch of Americans, pledge allegiance to Jesus only. And immediately, everybody in the room would think of the flag and would think of the United States of America and think, you know, depending on where you're at, that could be really problematic for you. They probably loved that announcement, the fact that they were just throwing that in the Roman Empire's face. But see, here's the thing, right? Jesus comes on the scene and he says, if somebody hits you in the face, turn the other cheek, let them hit you again. If you have hate in your heart, you've already committed murder. These guys didn't know what to do with Jesus because they thought actual murder was okay. Simon the Zealot ended up being one of the 12 disciples. Jesus came, so he disappointed lots of people. He came as unexpected, but he still was able to move people far from God to God. I did that really fast. There's a lot of information there. Um, so what... What, what was that, right? The people of Jesus' day just did not know what to do with him. And Jesus, Jesus recognized that. And he even, he even called them out on it. Uh, Nate, could you put up Matthew, I think it's chapter 11. Jesus said this. He said, to what can I compare, whoop, back one please. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. He's talking about John the Baptist. People didn't expect John the Baptist to do the things that he did, and they didn't like him. The son of man, he's talking about himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And then Jesus shows up, and he goes and he reaches out to people who need him more than anything, and they don't know what to do with him. Folks, please do not underestimate this. So that was the original audience, how they perceived Jesus, what he kind of did to them. It, so now for us, if you, this would be like if, if you are more on the conservative side of things, the things that Jesus said and did and the places that he went and the people that he hung out with would be shocking to you. You would be appalled. If you are more liberal-leaning, the framework and the guidelines within which Jesus lived and asked people to follow him, you would find offensive. All of us would be put off by the fact that we couldn't earn a spot with Jesus, that we couldn't do the right things, enough right things, to earn his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And every single one of us, at one point in time or another, in a message that Jesus delivered, would have felt him say, you're a hypocrite. You look good on the outside, but what are you thinking and what are you feeling? He showed up and he was not what people wanted and he's not what people expected. But he's exactly what God promised. And thank God that, that he was. The original audience, the people of Israel, those factions that I went through really quick, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, they fell victim they fell victim to 
ignorance, they fell victim to arrogance, and they fell victim to fear, right? Those things kind of ganged up on them, conspired them, and, and altered their thinking. Nate, could you put that next slide up, please? Circumstances and feelings without knowledge of God and his ways always result in unmet expectations. The world comes at us hard and fast. And if we are not steeped in a knowledge of God, if we are not walking with him, if we are not doing what we can to try to get closer to him, life is, life is just going to, it's going to get the better of us. So we're not left, right? We're here to celebrate. That was like a heavy beginning. But the reason of Christmas is a celebration. And in Jesus, in the birth of Jesus, if we can stop looking in the mirror and start looking at him as God intended us to see him, then something amazing happens. When we invite him into our lives and we take intentional steps to grow and to follow him, amazing things happen. We're, we're, we're freed from the dictatorial nature of the feelings and circumstances and how they can take control of our lives. And it all starts with wisdom. So I, let me take a step back. Just, let's just be really clear for a second, right? We all, me, you, we all have preconceived notions and of Jesus and, and how we want him to be and the things we want him to feel and act. It wasn't just his original audience. We are just as much a victim to that. So um, I think it's important that we recognize that. And then once we recognize it, we can attack it and we can, we can move on. And so here's, you know, we've been talking about this a lot lately, but um, it's not, this is not complicated. It's not rocket science. God gave us the gift of his Bible so we could get to know him. And concrete, intentional, just reading your Bible. And depending on where you're at, for some people, like, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm in. I get it. Jesus on a page. I love the Bible. Other people, depending, again, on where you're at, Tom, you're nuts. It's a book that was written thousands of years ago. I don't get it. It's hard to understand. It does not apply to me. It's intimidating. I just, I can't get my brain around it. So here's, here's what I've done for you. Even, no matter where, where you're at, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to do something this week. If you, um, if you are on our text list, if you've ever responded to that or you've gotten a text from us, you got a text from me about 20 minutes ago. You take out your phone, you look at your phone, and there's a text from me in there, and there's a link. If not, if you are not on that list, if you don't have a text for me and you want the link, Nate, could you put that next slide up? You text the word notes to that number, and right now you're going to get a link, and it's going to take you to a web page. The web page is going to have on, it's going to, it's going to have a link to take you to read the book of Galatians. It's a very short book in the New Testament that talks about what it means, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Within that page, there is a video from thebibleproject.com. And it's a very creative, theologically sound, engaging resource to help you understand that book of Galatians. 
it's about, the video's about eight minutes long. They go through the whole book with pictures. It's got pictures and everything. For those of you who say you only read picture books, it's got pictures and everything, right? <clears throat> and then the last thing that's on there for you is a form. If you have any questions about what you read or about what you saw, what you heard, put your question in there and hit send. And it will come to me, and if I don't know the answer, I'll go to Gail and Norbert and I'll get the answers, all right? It all starts with, Nate, can you put up that um, Proverbs 9? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's where it all begins. When we take steps to intentionally learn more about Jesus, our heart for him grows, right? Our heart knowledge of him grows. Our love for him grows. When we take steps to get to know him more, and we, for, we fall more in love with him, we begin to experience him more. I don't know if you guys were up early this morning, but I was driving over here. I have never seen the moon as big as it was during the day. It was just amazing. And to think that God had the power just to speak that into being and that he would allow me to see that. Like that kind of experience and being able to connect the dots between just like everyday stuff and oh my gosh, God created that and allowed me to, to see it. That knowledge Head knowledge, heart knowledge, experiential knowledge leads to two things, right? It leads to humility and it leads to courage. And for the, the sake of our conversation this morning, I want you to think about humility can be lots of things. It can be viewed from lots of different examples. But I want you to think about humility as acknowledging the fact that God always knows more and better than I do. Always knows more and better than you do. So to put that in really practical, concrete terms, if you disagree with Jesus on something, you're wrong. Not disagree with me, right? Not disagree with the church. If you disagree with Jesus on something, you're wrong. Whatever issue it is that you think you've got figured out, whether it's gun control or immigration or gay marriage or soccer or church, if you disagree with Jesus, you're wrong. None of us like to be wrong. None of us like to be redirected. None of us like to say, over here, you're going the wrong way, come over this way. We want to do our own thing. We want to think that we know what's best for us. But if we take the time to get to know the one who is giving the correction and the redirection and the guidance, right? I'm telling you, Jesus is always right. Jesus existed before time began. I, I can't even fathom what that what that means he existed before time began he spoke all of this into being that's how powerful he, is. he said be and there was light and there was sky and there was earth and there was animals he spoke it all into being he was that powerful knows everything right the number of hairs on your head on my head and for me that number changes every day it's not getting bigger um, that was funny, you guys. Come on. <laughs> um, he knows all. He's omniscient. And, like, if somebody had all those qualities, that could be really scary. But Jesus loves you with a perfect, unconditional love. Right? Nate, put that, um, I think it's a Jeremiah verse up there. But it's just... It talks about if we're going to boast in something, 
right, that we have an understanding of God, that we acknowledge that his ways are better than our ways, that he knows more than we know. If we have that humility, right, then instead of ignoring him, we'll want to listen to him. Instead of going our own way, we'll want to follow him. Humility, courage. And we're going to think about courage this way, is acknowledging the fact that Jesus is always with us. Once you invite Jesus into your life, he does not leave. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The God of the universe resides within you and is with you. Nate, you can put the next slide up. And is always with you. The monotonous, right? The everyday chores, doing dishes, driving to work, picking kids up at soccer. The life-altering, having a baby, losing somebody close to you, having to move, buying a new house. Jesus right there. Jesus also, right, those things, there's constancy. But there's also change, and change can be scary. And life with Jesus is, if nothing else, is about change. Jesus, I don't care where you're at right now this morning, Jesus will meet you where you're at. But I promise you, if you invite him into your life, he will not leave you there. That's going to require change in thoughts and feelings and in practices. And that can be scary. But we can move forward even in the scariness and the fear of it because Jesus is with us. That's courage, right? We move forward even into the things that can be upsetting and unsettling. One more slide, Nate. So here's how this wraps up for you, right? An ever-increasing knowledge of God leads to humility and courage. Humility and courage allow us to see God as he intends to be seen and not as we want or expect him to be. Jesus wants to move in and through you. But if you keep him in a little Jesus box that only comes out when it's convenient for you or when you need him, you are selling him so far short and you are missing out so much of what it means to walk with Jesus. We invite Jesus into our lives and then we're intentional about getting to know him. We open up his Bible. We pull out our devices. We read, right? We use resources like BibleProject.com to help us understand and we ask questions. And those things lead to humility and courage. I'm gonna ask the band to come, to come back up here to, to finish up our time. So I want to um, leave you with, with the verse. And so hopefully now that, that person in the mirror image of Jesus, if not all the way removed, you're at least starting to question if it's the right image or not. And as we think about all the, the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus and the things that he came to do, I'm going to read this to you. It's pretty famous. We read it a lot around, around Christmas time. It was a prophecy about Jesus and what he came to do and what he came to be. And as we think about the fact that Jesus isn't always the God that we want or expect him to be, but he's always the God that we need him to be, we might receive these words that maybe have become trite or, oh, it's just part of the nice Christmas tradition and appreciate the meaning behind them, that Jesus is who he said he is. He does the things he says he does and he wants to do them in and through you today.
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus wants to be the God he intended to be for you, in you, and through you. This Christmas, I hope and I pray that you would, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, is that you would begin to see Jesus as he intended you to see him. Perfect, loving, for you, with you. Thank you.